Oasis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. Today on the podcast, I have Willie Donaldson. Willie brings a very interesting perspective. He is a executive. He is a practitioner. And he also teaches at Christopher Newport University. He teaches leadership. And he is an expert in systems thinking. So that's really the focus of our conversation today is systems thinking as it's applied to leadership. Now, Willie, we literally just met. I'm excited. You have an upcoming issue of the Journal of Leadership Studies that's going to have a symposium on the topic of systems thinking. So that's how we got connected. But maybe what we can do is you can tell us a little bit about yourself so that listeners know you, and then we can jump into this this topic of systems thinking and leadership. How are you, sir? Absolutely. I'm, I'm great, Scott. Great to be with you, and, and thanks for the time. And, and um, it is a delight. And um, I'll actually correct you if you don't mind, and that sure. is the, the symposium is going to be two issues. Uh, oh, good. So I'll talk more about that and why we broke it into two issues and how I, I thought about doing that with your good friend, Tony Middlebrook. So we'll share more about that. But, but you're absolutely right. I am a non-traditional academic. I am an associate professor of management, and I teach in the business school and in the leadership program. And um, but I come from 35 years of being a CEO. I CEO of eight companies, one of which was a publicly traded company, one was an international joint venture, um, and I I became a CEO at age 26. And one of the things wow. I I knew was that I knew I didn't know what I needed to know. And so I went searching, and and every mentor, every place I went, um, just you know really drove home the need for leadership and, and great leadership. And, and um, so I started in my organizations really digging into what leadership looked like as a practitioner, because much like some of your your um, prior guests have said, you get out there as a as a academic and that's not the way it works in, in real yes. life. And so <laughs> it's it's a it is a complex, challenging um, event. And um, well, you, you know, it, it's the the pretty. I always say the pretty blue boxes in the textbook don't seem to stay pretty and blue in re- the real world, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it gets very messy out there and, and and challenging to yourself. And so, one of the first things I wanted to do is is center myself as a leader and see if I really understood myself. And then I went and started. Um, summarizing that and and building it into my corporate universities, how we taught leadership and thought about leadership in my companies, because I just thought it was that important. And one of my seminal moments was going to a terrific um, event that the American Management Association used to have called the President's Association. And sure. it's called the Management Course for Presidents. It was only CEOs or division presidents because the world just looks differently from that seat. Um, yep. And so they really wanted people to share experience. It was really a peer-driven um, 
driven organizational uh, development session. And they, I guess I was too vocal. They asked me to start teaching that course. And, and um, so we, we spent a lot of time on leadership in, in that particular session. And the AMA asked me to develop the very first program on leadership that I taught around the country. Uh, and that right. was back in the 90s, the early 90s. And so I've thought a lot about this for a long, long time. Wow. And, and the, the, the confluence of, of systems thinking comes from my father was the um, director of all of the gas dynamics labs at the forerunner of NASA, the National Advisory Council on Aeronautics. And he gave me all the early systems thinking texts from Von Burton Lanphe, Akoff, Churchman, Checkland, um, all of the early um Texas, as they were sort of emerging back then, that was back in the 70s. And I went sure. off blithely thinking that everybody was going to view the world as a system. And boy, was I surprised. <laughs> surprised. <laughs> you know, people didn't even know what I was talking about. And yeah. um, But I came at the world of, of viewing it as a system and using system dynamics and systems thought. And through my career, a lot of mentors and board members and investors said, hey, you've got a really interesting way of viewing the world. And then a mutual friend of ours, Barbara Kellerman, wrote an article, um, and it was, leadership is not a person, it's a system. And I wrote her, mm -hmm. and I said, Barbara, you're singing my song. I've been saying this for a long time. And we went back and forth. Um, and so I put together a, a team or a, a panel for the ILA to really look at people who are exploring the the, um, the confluence of leadership and, and systems thinking. Um, and what we found was... They're not a lot of people. They 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 know it. They've thought about it a little. They've read a little bit about it, but they haven't really deeply applied it in areas. And I'll tell you an interesting story. Please. Uh, based on my book, Simple Complexity, I was asked to give a talk to a major financial institution who you would all know, and your your listeners would all know. Um, and so I had 84 of the senior leaders in, in the room, and I asked them, I said, is your enterprise a system? And all the hands went up. Everybody agreed their enterprise was a system. And I said, is your enterprise a subsystem of the greater system that's your holding company, if you will? And uh, everybody said yes. I said, how about your division, department, strategic business unit? Is it a subsystem of the system, which is a subsystem? Everybody agreed. I said, how about you as a person or your project? Is that a system? Everybody agreed that everything yeah. was a system. Them. And then I asked how many of you have studied deeply systems thinking, system dynamics, systems sciences, any of the systems disciplines, three people. Yeah. And so we all know we're living in them, but most of us really don't know how they affect us and how the system takes on a life of its own. Barbara refers to it, Barbara Kellerman refers to it is as the context that we lead in. And so that's where we really got started and where Tony Middlebrooks picked up and said, hey, we really need to dig into this notion of the system being the context that the leader has to get oriented to and then get all of their leaders and followers oriented to. Well, that's great. And maybe you can give, Willie, I don't want this to turn into a, because it's a complex topic, but I love the title of your book. What are a couple fundamental principles that people have to understand? Or what would be a couple foundational concepts for listeners as we kind of proceed in the dialogue? Yeah, so the the interesting title of my book is Simple Underscore Complexity, and I, yeah. I try to tie that in is because you cannot deal with the complexity straight on. Mm. And so we create models and mental models and, and proxies for the system and the complexity, 
And those have to be simple for people to understand. But what we then forget is that that simple model is tied to the complex model and we and all of the nuance that goes with it. So the first caution is just beware. In fact, in the book, I talk about beware and behold. Hmm. Beware the system and, and all of its connections and all of its complexity, but also behold, if you can align all of the people to see the system the same way and talk about it in the same way, amazing things can occur. And I think it's one of the... the um, the, the things that, that leaders don't grasp, if you go back to W. Edwards Deming, you know, one of the great management thinkers and, and um, people, a lot of people think he was just a statistician, but he was a systems thinker. And mm. his findings were that up to 94% of all the defects, faults, mistakes, misunderstandings, misalignments were systemic. Mm. And he points out that if you've hired the right people, they want to do the right thing. So why why do systems keep failing? Well, it's got to be because the system is causing people to do the wrong things. And so what what Herbert Simon talked about that I see, and, and one of the concepts I would get across to most of the listeners is this notion of bounded rationality. Scott, you can't mm. deal with the whole. So we set up boundaries between finance and accounting, accounting and marketing, marketing and sales. Yeah. Um, and those are absolutely necessary. But the problem is they're artificial boundaries. They don't exist. There are no boundaries in the enterprise. There are no boundaries in your not-for-profit or your, your NGO. And yet people start to behave as if there are. Yeah. They start to optimize sales. They start to optimize fundraising. They start to optimize these other areas, which is exactly what you'd expect them to do unless you taught them that, that system throughput may actually demand that they suboptimize their department. And that's just a cruelly counterintuitive way to, to look at the world. Wow. What else? Um, well, there's a really interesting concept that I introduced in my book that I, I think not enough people get. And that is if there are no boundaries and if this thing is just one big system, how can I possibly get my head around leading my particular area or my project. And, and um, Arthur Kessler came up with a terrific concept of a holon. And a holon is something that is at the same time a system, but a part of a larger system. Hmm. And, and the key thing about a holon is it never loses its systemicity. And that's what I wanted my people. I represented the people and their functions and policies as holons because I wanted them to realize you can never give up the systemicity because if you do, if people don't see the full system and the, and the relationship, hermeneutics tells us that they will make it up for themselves. They will complete that hermeneutic cycle and yeah. complete the story in their mind. Yep. And so if you don't, if you don't let them know how they connect and you don't let them know what's important and that both the system and their function are important, they'll start to tend into this bounded rationality. Wow. One of my favorite quotes, Willie, and I've never asked this of an expert, so I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. But one of my favorite quotes, it's been attributed to a number of different people, and, and you will have heard this many times, but every system is perfectly designed for the results that it achieves. That Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with it. In fact, I start my book with it, and, <laughs> and it has been attributed to a number of different people. I've used it for 30 years, um, but it, it, it is. And if you look at the canonical model of a system, inputs through this black box called the system to outputs, time, people, and money into goods, services, whatever it is, if you look at that simple model, it can't be any other way. 
Yeah. There's just this black box and something's happening in there and the results that you get out are what they are. What most people don't want to recognize, what most leaders don't want to recognize is they are responsible for the results. They want to blame somebody else just like everybody else, but you cannot escape responsibility. The leader is the system architect. He or she sets up all those pieces and is the only person who can mediate any any challenges or things that are, are wrong with the system, the current system. Yeah. Well, so you are, you are a student of some of the seminal thinkers in this space, right? That's, that's correct. And what would you say most leaders need to know? Now, I know you've given us some foundational concepts, but you just said something really, really important. They are the architect. And I imagine that architect can do great damage if they don't perceive themselves as the architect, if they don't have some foundational, like you said, you're speaking with these very powerful leaders in a very well-established institution. Mm -hmm. And three of the 80-some had really actually explored this topic with any depth. What do the leaders need to know? What do they need to be thinking about? What do they have to have on their radar? And where do they go? <laughs> Other than call you. <laughs> right. Well, that, that's the that's the challenge is they need to understand that they are managing and running and leading a system. And, and the example that I gave you shows that so many people really don't understand. They understand and they'll say they're running a system, but they don't know what that means. And so yeah. the first thing is to be humble and realize you don't know it all. And that's really a challenge, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't see enough humility in leadership. And and I think, um, secondly, you've got to realize how your biases get assembled through the silos that you come up through the organization. Um, wow. If you came up out of finance, you view the world as, as finance or operations. And so one of the, the programs that we all know about is these leadership training programs that get you through the different departments. Really important to see those sorts of things. And um, and just having the humility to view the system differently and, and not look to blame other people. People don't realize and leaders don't realize how much the system drives behaviors. As, wow. as, as Deming said, people want to do the right thing. And, and if they don't want to do the right thing, look at your hiring practices. Yeah. <laughs> During yeah. a public session, I had a, a CEO who, who stood up and told me I was an idiot, which a lot of people do. Um, <laughs> but you know, he said, this is all nonsense. You know, my people are deadbeats and, you know, I can't trust them and blah, blah, blah. And, and before I could say anything, one of the other people in the in the seminar said, well, wait a minute. Why did you hire deadbeats and people you can't trust? And he yeah. stumbled and stammered and said, well, well, you don't understand. And then somebody else stood up and said, no, 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 no hold on. If you hired good people and now they're deadbeats and you can't trust them, I don't give you much for your management chops, yep. right? So leaders can't escape the effects of the system and they've got to dig in and really understand how the system performs and causes people to do things because we want to blame folks and we want to blame other people. And there's a paradox that I talk about and it's really a cruel paradox and that is one of the leader's jobs is to lock the system down and make it repeatable and predictable, right? Yep. That's what people want. But it's a fool's errand because everything in the system and around it is changing. The economics, yeah. the the external environment's changing, people are aging, processes are changing. And so 
building a company that's that's sort of poised on a on a razor's edge of change is hard to do and you have to get people comfortable in that environment one of the ways i tried to do it is to train all of my people in systems thinking and to understand and view the world that way because yep. system thinking really is a worldview. A mindset almost, yes, right? How, your point, how you see what's happening around you. Well, tell us a little bit. I'd love to I'd love to continue the conversation in two different ways. One, tell us a little bit about the the Journal of Leadership Studies, that symposium, and some of the articles that are in there and that that excite you and that mm-hmm. you think bring a really nice, interesting perspective to this conversation. And then I'd love to get your your thoughts on, and this is not a an, an exercise in, in politics, but as a case study, what does what does Biden have to have on his radar from a systems thinking perspective? Maybe we can go there a little bit towards the end, yeah. so we can all have that top of mind and be watching as to how he's intervening in in a situation that's that's complex, incredibly complex. So let's talk first about the JLS issue. And then while you're talking, you can multitask. (laughs) And be thinking about that, absolutely. And formulate an answer for part two, which is not an easy question. So so if you hear the smoke detectors go off, it's because my brain, you know, instantly caught flu because I'm not good at that. I'm overloading the system. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm really excited about the the symposium for the journal. Um, As I say, Tony and, and Mark approached me and said, we really need to get seeing the panel, which was Barbara Kellerman and Nathan Harder and myself, um, and and um, who am I, Donna Ladkin, and we just talked about system thinking and how important it was. They said we've really got to get this message front and center with our readership, um, and so Tony proposed a, a, an issue. And as I looked at it, I th- I thought there was enough material and enough reason to break it into two issues. And and here's the reason why: Michael Jackson, not the famous singer. But the, a famous systems thinker from England pointed <laughs> out that there are two different types of systems. One is bounded systems and one are unbounded systems. And so bounded systems are ones that have some form of governance that's readily apparent. Right. It may not be good governance, but there is a group uh, or somebody who's responsible, maybe a board of directors. It could be an association, et cetera. But there is notionally governance going on. And then unbounded systems are natural systems that we can't do anything about. And so we know a fair amount about the um, the bounded systems, but we still don't really view them as systems. So the first issue is all about looking at bounded systems and talking about governance, talking about this notion of the whole on model, how it how it causes you to use both and thinking. Both my role is response is important and the system role. Both leadership and followership is important and talks about the paradoxes. Donna Ladkin talks beautifully about sensing the system. You know, so much of what we do is what we want to count and and things that that we can see. Yeah. And in systems, a lot of the relationships and a lot of the behaviors have to be sensed. And that's not something that leaders tend to do. You know, we tend to push harder, particularly in times of complexity and urgency. We yep. push harder, talk louder, expect more. And often the time thing to do is to, to re- re- relax back and just reflect on the system and sense the system and to step back from it and view it differently. Mm. Um, so that's the first 
version. And then the second version is unbounded systems where there is no governance. So, the, you know, the environment, um, global warming, we can all we can hope to do as leaders is is create a response to those systems. We can never govern them. We don't even understand them in many cases. Sure. So all we can hope to do is build a coalition that can respond to it intelligently. Yep. And that's a very different challenge and one that most of our leadership models are not particularly well set up to to, to, to grapple with. And so we're going to talk about um, that in some way and, and show some examples of people who are really dealing with um, tremendous complexity in open systems and trying to, to bring um, coalitions together to, to solve them and to, or to manage them is all you can hope to do and manage our response. So I collect meteorites. Mm -hmm. And that would be perhaps one of the, the the larger unbounded systems would just be the the galactic system that's at play, right? Yeah, exactly. So w an example might be that we can we we have, there's no governance or no control that we have over something impacting the United States or the Earth, but we can control potentially how we would think about responding. So I was watching literally a video. You mentioned NASA earlier mm -hmm. of a, a scientist at the uh, JPL at NASA. And this gentleman was going through all of the different ideas they'd had about how we address a, an, uh, an, I forget what they're called now, but it's an, it's a near earth object. And if there was an impact, what mm -hmm. we would do to intervene, but they haven't come up with anything that they think would actually work. It's not <laughs> like the Bruce Willis film where we just, you know, get in a rocket ship and head up there. Yep. What are some examples that you explore? So that would be a galactic version of an unbounded right. system. And I, am I correct? Absolutely. And so okay. you know, the, the most visible system that most of your listeners will know about is, of course, climate change and, and global warming, right? We yep. know um, and, and we have some mechanisms that are beginning to get control of it, like the Paris Accords and others, but there are, are breaks. The, the conventions on whaling, but they fail when, when one group or a group of, of nations don't participate. Yeah. And we don't like it. And, and quite honestly, that's where systems thinking is, gets challenged, um, is people don't want to come together. They don't want to compromise. In the system, you have to compromise. Well, wow. right. The, the system will always dominate and somebody's going to have to give and there will be winners and losers. And our, our leadership and followership tools don't really address that well, ac particularly across geopolitical boundaries, which, again, yeah. don't exist. Right. Global warming could care less about the distinction of Chinese and American. It just it is no effect. But yes. we have to figure out a way as as humans to connect on that level if we're going to deal with some of these problems and challenges. And, and one of the questions that we're going to propose in the symposium is, is there even a model of leadership? Can leaders that have the humility to compromise even get elected and stay in power long enough wow. to affect change? Wow. And I think what, what I see is a, an inversion has to occur where followership becomes the most important function and followers have to rise up and demand leadership of an ilk that is humble and does use systems thinking. And that's going to be hard to hard to come by, I think. There's a there's a wonderful text that, that Churchman wrote called The Systems Approach and Its Enemies. There are hmm. enemies to this way of thinking, and the top two are politics 
politicians who are in power do not want people to be thinking broadly and systemically because if they do, they'll see the system and they'll see the how they use the system to stay in power. Yeah. And the other is academics. Mm. <laughs> academics is so so siloed into these swim lanes, chemistry, physics, math, accounting, finance, that we don't cross disciplines. We don't share our disciplinary knowledge. We use different language to talk about the same phenomenon. Yep. You see it all the time. And, and Peter Senge, uh, who wrote The Fifth Discipline, a famous systems thinker, said, you know, the systems thinking is the discipline that integrates the disciplines. You have mm. to think beyond it. Because if there truly are no boundaries, you better get good at listening to other people and other points of view and, and perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Willie, talk about COVID-19 and systems thinking. Absolutely. I just did this the other night for my high school, asked me to, to give a talk on it. And, yeah. you know, let, let's look at, I use Dana Meadows, really sparse, elegant definition of a system, a set of elements that interrelate for a particular purpose or characteristic set of behaviors. So if you look at COVID-19, it's a bunch of RNA and proteins that interconnect and interrelate and, and work together. And you might say, well, gee, we don't really know what the purpose of a virus is or what its goal is, but we do know one thing, characteristic set of behaviors is it's going to find new hosts so that it can replicate and survive and mutate. Yeah, That's all you need to know about that system. And none of the boundaries that feel so comfortable to us are of any use in combating that system, right? Yeah. Geopolitical boundaries don't help black, white, male, female, rich, poor, none of them. And so it is a system that we have to combat and we have to understand the systems that we use to try to, to combat it. If you look at the SIR model, susceptible, infected, recovered model that all of the, the medical um, practitioners use, it's a systems thinking model looking mm -hmm. at, at stocks, the stock of, of susceptible people with flows into the infected group with flows to the recovered group. And you can base, you can take that whole system and model it and predict what's going to happen based on infection rates and social interactions and distancing. So, and then you get into an interesting concept in, in systems thinking, and that is this notion of trade-offs. Systems hmm. make you trade things off. And so we are trading off time in the disease Right, we're going to be with this disease a lot longer than if we just let herd immunity take over and everybody got sick. Well, why are we trading off that? Because if we don't do that, our our hospital system is going to collapse. Yeah. Right. And you're going to get runaway deaths, and more people are going to be harmed. And then we start to connect with the the economic system. Okay, we're also trading off, just destroying some businesses. And so those are the really hard, complex trade-offs that systems and systems colliding and interacting make us trade off. And leaders need to understand that and followers need to understand and not blame somebody, but understand the greater system at work. Well, it was interesting. The, the podcast that we'll release just before this one, I was speaking with Brad Jackson. Brad Jackson is in New Zealand. He used to be on the board of the International Leadership Association. He's a professor and he's also a dean. But it was really interesting to hear him talk about how that country responded. Uh, you have Jacinda Ardern and... You know, he said it was really interesting. He said it was really almost in some ways invigorating mm -hmm. 
to watch 5 million people kind of with a common vision work to achieve an objective. Mm -hmm. It was very, very interesting to, and so I tried to unpack a little bit. Well, what was it? Was it, was it, and, and he didn't necessarily think that it was all her, but, and, and his a topic of a love of his is leading in place. How does the place, the place serve as a character mm -hmm. in the context and the dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But it was a really, really interesting conversation because fundamentally a different approach to an a, dis a different system in place mm -hmm. than a lot of places in the world. And he said, you know, look, we're an island. It's a little bit easier in some ways, mm -hmm. but we all had to row in the same direction to yep. get this under control, yep. right? So that was fascinating to have that conversation with him. It is. And one of the emerge, you know, systems have this property called an emergent property where things emerge from the system. It's not just the collection of parts, but they actually start to, to evolve and take on a character of their own. And culture is an emergent property of a system. Yeah. It doesn't exist by itself. There's not a dial you can go. You can't buy more of it. It it comes out of the the bringing together of all the elements of the system. And you know, this is where the US system is much harder to deal with in these sorts of pandemic problems and big global challenges. Um, you know, we have this, you know, independent don't tell me what I can do streak. That's really hard to deal with when you have to try to impose some sort of will or whatever. And secondly, we have 50 states, all yeah. with different ways of viewing the problem. And so it's much harder for us to respond to a systemic challenge like COVID than it is a small nation like New Zealand um, yeah. or, and one that's much more homogenous. Let's shift gears unless there's something else you want to. I have seen the steam coming out of your head. <laughs> I know you've been thinking about this. That's right. But from a systems thinking perspective... What does uh, President-elect Biden have to have on his radar to be successful? What would, what would Willie Donaldson, the systems thinker, suggest? What do you think? Um, you know, I think, and I, I'd like to think he's beginning to do that, and, and that's to understand that there, there is much more that connects us and that uh, I use a term, we spend a lot of our time in violent agreement. You know, we we agree on some things, but we we fight about it. And and so toning down the rhetoric, one of the things about systems is if you think about elements that interact with a purpose, it's possible for those elements to be at cross purposes. And bringing down the cross purposes and restoring a sense of common purpose is, is really important. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, again, thinking systemically. Another is it, it feels comfortable to try to beggar the other side. We won, you know, we're just going to force our agenda. One, because this wasn't a runaway and he's not going to have full control of everything, that's going to be hard to do. But, but that's the beauty of a democracy is it should be hard to get change through. You've got to get mm. people to agree and to compromise. And that's one of the huge challenges that I think this country faces is we've gotten so polarized, nobody's willing to compromise and to come out and say they're willing to compromise. And you you, you can get you know, sidetracked, but that's precisely what the system, particularly a complex adaptive system like the United States, requires on a daily basis. Yeah. And so if, if politicians cannot compromise, that's going to be hard. So I think Mr. Biden, you know, has to try to, to seek a compromise as, as broadly as he can. And then finally, you have to realize that winners and losers 
are going to be in the system and the losers are going to fight you if you don't take care of them. There's this feeling of, oh, you lost and that's just tough. No, you've actually got to bring them along. So yep. going back to our discussion of global warming, right? There's a reason the coal industry has fought so hard to stay around because there's a lot of people's lives and, and livelihoods depend on it. So you can't just say, well, yep. we're just not going to do that anymore. You have to figure out ways for them to elegantly exit the system and benefit in some other way. Yeah. And that's, yeah, there's that's, this, the, the, the competing commitments. Have you ever read Immunity to Change by Robert Keegan? Have yes. you ever read that? Yep. Such yeah. a great, such a great way of thinking, right? It is. Because you can start to see the system at play, mm -hmm. even at the, at, the, at, the, at the individual level. Mm -hmm. So the system at play that may be stalling you from achieving some objective or goal that you want to on a personal level. Mm -hmm. And you can start to see that system at play. But when that goes to a team, or when that goes to an organizational level or a, a societal level, it's it's mind-boggling. It really yeah. is. Well, I have so much respect, Willie, for for how your mind thinks. Yeah, and, and that's why I talk about you know organizations have a highly developed antibody immune system response. They will try to throw those changes out and those people who are are threatening them. And it's interesting. I want leaders to realize that that's actually a tribute to the organization. People are trying to defend it. And that's where you've got to change their mind and say, no, 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 we have to change. You know, Todd Jick at Harvard talks about you have to get the organization just as worried as you are about the status quo mm. so that they'll see the, the reason and the impetus to go forward. Because if they're comfortable and you've already trained them that this is the way you should do things, now you got to untrain them and tell them, hey, this is a new way and here's why. Well, Willie, what are you, and we'll kind of wind down for the day, but what are you reading or listening to or streaming that has really intrigued you in recent times? What comes to mind? A um, couple of things. I've been going back and spending a lot of time on the neurobiology and, and the way people form their mental models because you know wow. the, people view the world and and. And as Charles Sanders Peirce said, you know, we get this fixation of beliefs and we, we just we're so stubborn in changing our opinions and our biases, et cetera. So I've been really doing a lot of work in in how you how people think and form those beliefs and how you can change. And I think that's important for leaders and followers to understand. And yes. I tried to work that into my my corporate universities. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Shane Parrish's Farnham Street blog. And um, Shane is a, is a Canadian who is doing some really interesting work in bringing um, – Sister together. I've just reread um, Team of Teams, if, you've, if you're familiar with it, I think. I'm and not. And um, uh, Ed Hess, who's a friend of mine at the University of, of Virginia, the Darden School, just finished a new book called Hyperlearning. And, and his book prior to that was great, and I really commend it to your readers. And it was um, Humility is the New Smart. Okay. You know, when the internet exists and on your phone, you can get to virtually any information you want. And, and machines are starting to take over a lot of our life. We'd better get good at the uniquely human things. And one of those is, is humility and, and empathy. And hyperlearning is all about learning and relearning and rechaining your mind uh, to deal with the reality as, as it unfolds. And so I've been really spending a lot of time in how people change and evolve, because I think that's what a leader's job is, is, is to 
constantly evolve the organization, you have to be able to do that. And you have to train your followers to be able to do that because, again, the world outside is changing. The world yeah. inside is changing. People are aging. They're seeing new things. You're, you're having to adopt new products, new new uh, constituencies, et cetera. So to me, it's all about change, et cetera. The symposium has been just terrific, you know, connecting with people like um, Barbara and, and um, Donna and Nathan Harder and just – you know, really great leadership scholars who are thinking about these problems. And I've tried to reach out on, for the second one to some really interesting practitioners who are doing some cool stuff around the world in trying to bring systems thinking and systems leadership to a head. Awesome. Awesome. What are a couple seminal systems thinking resources that we could point other than your book, which I will put in the show <laughs> notes, but what are some other seminal pieces of work that we can point people that, that would be a nice entry point into the topic. Absolutely. Well, the one I love is Danello. She went by Dana, but Danello Meadows Thinking in Systems. And it's a primer. Okay. It's really terrific. There are other fantastic systems thinking books like Peter Senge's Fifth Discipline, but it tends to be kind of unapproachable and, and hard to, to gather. Uh, Dana Meadows' book, um, Thinking in Systems, is really approachable and just a great primer. Derek Cabrera at um, Cornell has written a, a great thing, Making Systems Thinking Easy or Simple. Um, okay. And he's got a great framework uh, for thinking about uh, and thinking in systems. So those are two that I, I highly recommend. Uh, there's some great sources on the internet for systems thinking. Um, there are, you know, there are dozens of other sources out there, but some of them are, are a lot of more antiquated now. And, um, but those are, are two that I highly recommend. Now, just a, a note and full disclosure, my book is all about systems thinking applied to an enterprise, a not-for-profit, a for-profit, um, a university, a team. Um, and so it doesn't get into this notion of unbounded systems thinking, sure. uh, but much more focused. And that's why the I think it's a, a you know appropriate to leadership studies. Willie, last question. Mm -hmm. You have you mentioned that you had led nine organizations. Is that accurate? Um, eight officially, and then I was acting CEO of three others. So yeah. okay, okay. Did you find that your methodology, your way of thinking, your way of that that mindset served you in each of those instances? I really did, and and in fact, that's what really led me to to write the book. I had board members, investors, and and some of my coworkers who said, you know, the way you put these pieces together really makes sense, and I haven't heard about it before. You should write a book, and so I really do think taking a systems perspective helped me. I think realizing that the system is bigger than I am, more powerful than I am, gave me a humility to do that. And also understanding that each system has a, a context, and that is the time and place that it exists in, which means you can't just take the playbook from the last system and yep. apply it. You see that all the time. And I see it with owners and founders. I read, just read Steve Jobs' book, and I'm now going to go run my company like <laughs> Apple. Well, okay, but you're not Steve Jobs, and it's not Apple, so that's not going to work, right? <laughs> Well, sir, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it, Willie. But thank you for the work that you do. I will put all of that content in the show notes and we'll let people know how they can get in touch with you and learn more about your work. But uh, we're excited for that issue of the Journal of Leadership Studies. It's a symposium mm -hmm. and it's on systems thinking and leadership. Terrific. Scott, I can't thank you enough. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Be well. Take care. 
I just hit buy in one click on Amazon. I ordered Willie's book, Simple Complexity. The practical wisdom for me, if you are not an expert in this space, is to do that, to learn, to explore, and to begin to think about this topic as an area critical and important to the study of leadership. So here you have an individual who has not only been the CEO of eight companies, but he has his PhD. He teaches in a college of business at Christopher Newport University. And I believe that's just such an incredibly powerful combination. An individual that's steeped in the literature and that's steeped in practice and having found some success in looking to the literature as they practice. I think it's a lot of fun. I'm so excited for this symposium. Two separate issues, bounded and unbounded systems, and we're exploring this whole notion of systems thinking in leadership. And I will be on the lookout for that. I hope each of you are as well. As always, thank you for listening in. We really, truly appreciate you doing so. And happy learning and hope you have a wonderful day. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.